everybody. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, and when I'm not recording this podcast or writing all about training, nutrition, and endurance sports, I am probably outside hopefully doing one of those endurance sports. And I'm Peter Glassford. I'm a registered kinesiologist and an endurance coach. And you are here on the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we look at all types of different movements and the people that do them and try and pull out different things that we might use in the sports that we do. Good job. <laughs> so, what's uh, what's new with you, Peter? Well, I don't know. There's a lot going on. A lot going on. I feel so like you're using to... your NPR voice right now. Yeah, very just soothing. Trying, trying to draw on that. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I guess you you're gone, so it's all like craziness. The house is exploded as I try and do renos, and then also pull my bikes out and get ready for a stage race, and then we have a provincial race also this weekend and then i'm also trying to run and sort through we have way too many shoes so there's just like explosions of gear all over the place and then i also randomly decided to redo all of the training plans that i have on the training peaks uh library so the cyclocross one is live right now and then i'm going to work through and just sort of redo everything which i think has been a long time in the 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 works but yeah, there's just things exploded everywhere, basically. I mean, that's sort of how my brain feels right now. So it's sort of opposite things. When when you're at home, actually, when we're both at home solo, we both tend to do like the home renovations, repairs, organization stuff. Um, but I find when I'm gone, my brain starts reorganizing. So, uh, you know, I had a long drive back to New Jersey. I'm racing a 50K tomorrow. And yeah, the drive home was just a bunch of podcasts and a million ideas. So... You know, if you heard the phone call after I finished the drive, it was uh, just kind of an explosion of thoughts and ideas and things we need to do and all these, yeah, crazy new plans. And yeah, it's a lot of, lot of good stuff going on in my brain organizationally at the moment, we'll say. So yeah, lots of fun stuff kind of coming up in this next year, which I'm super psyched on, but I'm even more psyched on the fact that I'm racing tomorrow. And I... I don't think I've talked about this on here. I'm excited because it's a 50k trail race, but it's actually on a looped course. So it's, um, I think it's three or four laps of this course. And that's not something I've ever done before. So I'm really excited to see how that works out. I think there's, there's sort of some ups and downs with that, right? Like in terms of motivation, you know, for some people that's really boring when you hit the loop for the second time and you sort of know what's coming and, oh this again you know the third time is even worse but to me i think i might actually like it because i really enjoy out and backs and i think it'll be a little easier to you know know what my pace needs to be and stuff so looking forward to that yeah i think you just need to have that ready that there's like there's only one way out right and it's it's that finish line and you can't have I, i think that's why i like sprint the feed zones and the start finish all the time and uh, cross country Olympic races is just so that there's like absolutely no consideration of of dropping out when you're sort of like right beside your car. Yeah, that's true. Although I admit I'm almost more in the opposite direction where I'm looking at it thinking maybe I should do an extra lap once I finish it just so I can have gone past the the 50k mark in terms of my longest run that I've ever done. Um, mm-hmm. That is probably not going to happen. <laughs> No, I was just watching, I've been watching the Lionel Sanders, he's a Ironman triathlete, and he has, uh, what are those called, like a vlog, so he's like on YouTube, 
it's like video diary it sounds like you are the first you're like i've never heard of this youtube thing before but it's great everyone yeah. should totally check it out yeah they, they have this app right so i've been <laughs> on this youtube app um lots of video and so anyhow he had like a big burnout thing right which is, i think it, it's not necessarily his fault or it is his fault it's all of our faults but he burnt out, which is you know common in Ironman, common in elite sport, right? You're always on that limit, so um, it just happens. Um, so he was in sort of his comeback here after an injury and sort of that burnout. He was talking about how he used to have this this tendency to do, you know, I'd say seven by ten, um, you know, we'll call that threshold, but tempo set type workout, um, and he'd just be like overwhelmed by the seven by ten, and then he'd just do it as like all one shot. And somehow that was like less overwhelming. And again, this is different mindset. So this is like an Ironman mindset, right? Where you're like nervous about the break and you don't have the patience for the break. And you know that you're going to have to go harder if you do the break. But if you do the whole thing, you know, you never have to stop and like mm-hmm. assess where you are and then start again, which most Ironman type people, you know, endurance athletes don't like starting and stopping. So, yeah, it's a whole mental thing with that, right? And how that sort of unravels into training philosophy and I guess life philosophy, if you like. Yeah. Well, next uh, next week, hopefully, I can check back in and let everyone know if that uh, looped course helps or hurts me. Um, yeah, I'm I'm excited. I'm a little less excited. The downside of any ultra running stuff is that it starts so early in the morning. Um, I got a little spoiled with like years of cyclocross stuff, and now suddenly it's back to the 4 a.m. wake-ups, and I am not super thrilled about that part. But otherwise, very excited. Yeah, I don't know. You sort of have to deal with it. Leadville's coming up this weekend, so I have a few few athletes there. So we've done a little bit of simulation of that sort of wake-up time and what's breakfast look like, and you know, are you grumpy or do you need to talk to people? Do you need your you you have your what do you have on? Like the Eye of the Tiger t- comes on as your alarm or something? Oh, I have Thunderstruck by ACDC, but yeah. to each his own. <laughs> so there you go. And, you know, you have your treat of breakfast and you're sort of on the line before you know it, right? I like it because the, the flip side is you wake up and then you have like, what did we race at? Four o'clock for nationals. And I've raced at like six and seven o'clock at mm-hmm. night. And it's just like, yeah, you know what's worse than racing at 6 a.m.? 6 p.m. Because you got to wait all day and you're like second guessing everything you eat. Mm-hmm. Well, your whole day is shot. This, I, you know, tomorrow I keep trying to make plans with people. I'm like, 1 p.m., I'll definitely be home and totally recovered and ready to go. And I think I might be flying a little close to the sun on that one. But, I mean, my plans are all come over and watch Stranger Things and eat food with me. So I think that's going to be just fine. Yeah, I think the social goals are nice that sort of motivate you through the other side. Why don't we get into the first question here and we can keep this uh, witty banter going and mm. the different apps I've discovered on the internet. Yes, uh, yes, perhaps Vimeo. Um, anyway, so this first question is uh, talking about the idea of quitting competition and dealing with that. Um, so kind of all of the sides of that, you know, when it comes to body image and FOMO and, you know, what to do next, how to keep training, should you keep training? Um, and it's a really hard thing. And I think a lot of people end up struggling with this, you know, if they don't have a specific goal on the calendar, I've certainly dealt with it. And, you know, the loss of feeling like an athlete all of a sudden, or, you know, now you're, you definitely, if you already struggled to kind of call yourself an athlete when you were competing, when you stop competing, it's even harder to think of yourself as an athlete. 
Um, so these are, you know, really real things, but competition just isn't for everyone and it's not right without, it doesn't fit with everyone's time in life. Yeah. And I mean, that's ultimately why, at least my side of the, why did we start this podcast, right? Was, you know, I always felt this pull towards different sports. You know, I took kinesiology in school. Um, you know, I always liked running and, you know, half the time I had teammates who were sort of like-minded and we'd be basically like trying to hold each other back and then also egging each other on to go, you know, do running in the middle of a mountain bike season um, or, you know, do strength training, you know, and, and sort of all this stuff. So I think part of hopefully you're listening to the podcast because you asked this question, but, you know, I think there is like there's life after competition. And I think that's what I was preparing myself for with this podcast was talking to lots of people about all the different things you could be doing. And I think there's still challenge after competition. It's not that competition is the only way to challenge yourself and to set goals that are sport related. We've actually talked about this last week. It seems like the trend lately has actually been less about competition and more about, you know, these long bike packing things or FKTs, so fastest known times, or, you know, even just doing, you know, cool trips to places that you really wanted to ride or run or hike. Sure. And I mean, you have to remember that it, it sometimes seems like, oh, my like little provincial mountain bike community of like four or 500 people, like that's the world. But, you know, that is such a small segment of the people who mountain bike, let alone who ride bicycles, let alone who, you know, exercise in some sort of competitive and athletic way. Um, you know, again, there's a whole world out there. But I think to the question, there is uh, a, a retirement of sorts, right? If you're like, okay, I'm done with provincial mountain bike racing. This is this is my world. This is what we're coming up to. Um, you know, and this has been my identity, right? And so there is uh, some sort of, you know, death going on there, right? There is a, a retirement, you know, uh, what do you do next? And I think the biggest thing I've seen in any of the research and, and the people who speak on retirement and sport is, you know, having a plan and having a transition and knowing, you know, that it's it's not the end of you. It's there's other things that you do, and you may be someone like I would say even myself, whose entire life is basically based around cycling in a lot of ways. Um, and, and so it's just building out other things that you're doing, right? So it might be as the season's you know coming to an end, you're looking at oh, you know we're going to go on a backpacking trip and try some of this you know r- rough into camping, or maybe that's not your thing. Maybe you want to have friends that do paddleboarding or kayaking, or you know join a four week martial arts type thing, if that's more up your alley, right? And just sort of planning out that, like what's next after retirement um, seems to be a common recommendation. You could do reading on this around just normal, like how does an executive retire from sport, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or from sport, but also from, from sport. sport. Yeah. But from, you know, something they've done for 30 or 40 years. Um, I think it's also about thinking about what you're gonna miss. I mean, you know, for some people that might be, I'm going to miss the women or men that I race with. Okay, so could you, you know, maybe talk to a few of them and plan, you know, a group ride once a month or something like that? Or, you know, I'm going to miss the excitement of the race. Okay, could you volunteer at a race once a month and, you know, help out on the course or something like that? Or, you know, I'm going to miss how training made me feel. You know, you don't have to stop training just because you're not competing. Honestly, if anything, I would actually argue that you can be fitter not competing than you are competing. Because I think there's so much rest and recovery that go with a lot of competitive seasons. But if you're, you know, not trying to lead up to anything, you don't necessarily have the same, like, intensive taper or intensive recovery that's always happening. You can kind of have a much more 
strong baseline of overall fitness that just lasts. Right. And I mean, I think if you look at health, um, you know, a lot of times when we're talking about competition, we're thinking about retiring from sport than we've been, you know, perhaps more on that, we'll say elite level, but like away from what normal people do. Um, And there is sometimes, you know, some trade-offs with that performance, you know, when we're talking health or performance. Um, you know, they don't necessarily always overlap perfectly, right? There's a lot of overuse in cycling or running, um, you know, that then if you, you could start, you know, doing some yoga or some running or some upper body work, um, you know, maybe learning to do a pull up or a push up if you're a cyclist, um, you know, there's a lot of things tied into health that are still sort of movement and still could see goals and, and progress, right? And, um, I, I, it brings to mind CX Hairs just interviewed Jeremy Powers about his sort of retirement and what he's doing now. And Jeremy actually said that Adam Craig, another professional cyclist, sort of reached out to him as he as he retired and, you know, had put something on Instagram or whatever and said, you know, man, it's going to be maybe tough for the first couple months. Um, but, you know, in, in a few months, maybe in a year, you're going to start just feeling like amazing, um, you know, and see that it's, you know, it's really good on the other side, right, of that elite side of things. And that's not all of us, right? But I think there's an element of that for a lot of us, whether it's mental or physical. Yeah, and I think the last thing that I'll say about body image and stuff is, to me, if you're not competing, you don't really end up in the cycle of race weight, season end, you know, few pound weight gain, need to hit race weight again, dropping the pound. You can kind of come to a more steady normal um, where you're not kind of doing a bit more of that yo-yo that you might have been doing as a competitive athlete. So I think, you know, it's a lot healthier and you know, a lot less stressful. And I think you do have less of a up and down body image that goes with that up and down weight, if you can kind of steady into one healthy range. Well, yeah. And I mean, let's be honest, right? Like there's the power to weight cycling, whatever, you know, we like to run uphill. So we have to be on this razor's edge of weight. But then there's like, what is the healthy one where you don't get colds all the time? And you're, you know, maybe have some muscle mass that's going to carry into older age, and you're going to be, you know, really strong, um, you know, there's certainly some upsides there, and um, it, it's not uncommon to see people actually start riding or running, you know, better in a lot of ways. You know, they start having more power. Again, they're able to be consistent in their training because they're not sick all the time, right? So I think a lot of times that one metric, yes, important on paper, but, you know, what gets missed is, well, you're sick, so you miss, like, two months of training, you know, as we add that up over the season, right? Or you're always sort of like down a peg or Mm -hmm. you have no power. Like you're in a discipline that requires like explosivity and you're just dropping this power, right? For the sake of this like random, somewhat random metric. Right. Um, Also, so we'll also list that we have a few episodes that could be really good sort of talking about that. We've had Simon Marshall on. He's the author of The Brave Athlete, which is also a great book about that, although it does have a lot of stuff about competition itself in it. Um, but there'd be a bunch of gems in there as far as, you know, figuring out your new why and all that kind of stuff. Um, but he also talks about motivation to work out and how to get motivated to work out on an episode of this podcast. That's, I think, worth looking at because I think motivation is probably one of the tricky things when you don't have that goal race on the calendar. Um, and then we've had Danelle Kabush on a couple of times, and she's just great talking about body image and FOMO and sort of all of those things that go into it. And Tracy Stannard, um, another sports um, mental consultant, talked, I think, even a bit about her own retirement story when we had her on last year. So that's a, an older episode, but worth looking up. And maybe 
the one we just did with David Epstein, which d- seemed to be received really well. So thank you for all the folks who reached out and retweeted. Um, you still have a chance to do that if you'd like. Um, <laughs> we'll let but, you. But that one, you know, really ties in that consummate athlete or range concept that he's talking about. But there's definitely a bunch in there around retirement. Uh, his book talks about a few different people who sort of like go through multiple retirements in more of a business sense. But if you think about, okay, I'm a cyclist, I have this really strong endurance base, what could I do? Well, maybe I'm going to get into CrossFit and bring, you know, that endurance base in, work on my muscles, work on, or sorry, on my strength, and then work on sort of uh, just the basic CrossFit motions. And maybe you're a tremendous CrossFitter, like maybe you're actually wired up even better for that, right? And you have this like experience you can bring over to uh, CrossFit, just as a random example. There's lots of sports that being aerobically fit help for, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I would definitely recommend that that most recent one as well. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's move on to the next. And I think this is a big topic. So I think we're going to try to find an expert to maybe come on and, you know, speak directly to this idea of retirement. And hopefully we'll do that fairly soon. Um, so stay tuned for that. But moving on to our next question here. Um, oh, ask- oh, I have one more. Rebecca oh. Ruches. Rebecca Ruches oh, would have been. Yeah. She talks about it and that like I talk through my stuff a bit with Rebecca Ruches as well. Oh, boy. Um, but she's, you know, adventuring and doing some bike tours and, and different things like that. Um, so, so that one's back a few episodes, but that one is tremendous. And maybe you should just go and do one of Rebecca's tours or, or private Idaho things. And maybe should, there'll be some life lessons in the hills of Idaho for you. Hashtag not sponsored. Not at all. Um, <laughs> okay, so this one sort of, are you want to do the second one? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. This, is, this is one that's uh, near and dear to my heart. Um, so actually, this just came along because I was asking out for another article I'm doing on running about uh, habits that got people sticking to a you know, a running habit or how they stuck to a running habit. And someone asked, you know, as a cyclist who wants to become a runner, how do you juggle running with cycling and how do you know which days to ride and when it's okay to be running? Um, And I think this question is obviously going to go with the, it depends as the global answer, but I think there are some, some basic premises. When we are doing running and cycling, I guess the, the first thing when you say it depends is it probably depends on like what you're trying to do with that, right? So someone who's just, you know, we're, we're sort of maybe like our previous person, they're going to take a month or two just off a of competition and they just want to stay sort of generally healthy. So maybe you do, you know, strength training one day and running one day and riding one day uh, and then you take a day off or, or some combination thereof. Um, so in that case, you know, it, it almost doesn't matter that much. You just sort of want to pick, you know, so that you're not super sore, which is usually going to be the barrier. Um, so if you're trying to really focus on strength, you just come out of a competition phase, then maybe you put that first and then maybe, you know, you ride after, or if you only can do one workout, uh, that day, maybe you ride the next day, uh, just lower intensity. And then you can run maybe with a bit fresher legs on the Thursday or something, take Friday off and then Saturday, Sunday, maybe you do, you know, maybe you run and then bike or something or or whatever you want. Yeah. To me, part of this question almost sounds like uh, the stereotypical issue that most people have when they first start running. And what we always kind of joke about cyclocrossers do with running is you're like, okay, I'm going to be a runner now. I have an aerobic base because I ride bikes a lot. So I'm just going to go out and hammer like six miles and then, you know, you're instantly sore for, you know, five or six or seven days afterwards. Um, so I think in in any way, shape or form, like the slow and steady, you know, build into it gently 
let your body adapt to the fact that you're running. Run walks are great. All of that kind of stuff is super important. Yeah, that's definitely worth pointing out. Like, a, if you've had trouble with the running component and sort of how, what I'm reading into this, then, yeah, definitely starting, like, really slow and just even if you could do uh, more frequent runs, but think, like, you know, two, two kilometers, you know, walk a bit, run a mile, you know, walk a bit uh, some days, that type of thing. Like, just shorter than you think, um, but then maybe trying to add one or two. Um, so that could even be, like, a warm-up for... Uh, strength or you could take sort of a triathlete approach and when you get home from like your Saturday ride maybe just go for a, you know sort of a 2k run walk or whatever uh, whatever your ability and then I think looking at mixing up so it's not just running on the roads or trying to get into some parks and you know places where maybe you have to walk up a steeper hill and then sort of like carefully sort of like agility ladder your way quick feet down um you know, or walk down if you have knee problems or, or whatever, but just trying to mix it up mm-hmm. um, would be good. Uh, and then again, keep the the amount of running, like the time maybe even a little lower than you think. Um, mm-hmm. And then maybe slowly build that up, right? Like eventually you could be, you know, this is, people do this, this is do athletes and triathletes and all these people, um, you know, definitely do run and bike with great success. It's just, you need to get to a point where the running is not kicking uh, your butt, so to speak. Yeah, I think uh, when he asks, how do you know which days to ride and when it's okay to be running? I think it's probably, you know, those super high intensity ride days or any ride that's, you know, going to leave you kind of trashed. So that might be a long endurance ride for someone. Uh, Those are probably not the days to go run, especially not when you're first just getting used to running in general. Like maybe, maybe down the road, you could do an easy run those days, but I would say try to keep the running to your easy and off days first until you've established that, you know, you can run a couple miles, no problem. You don't feel any soreness the next day. No ill effects, basically. Yeah. And and then again, it gets to that question of like, what are you, which, which sport are you sort of concerned about? Or, um, you know, you could alternate that, I guess, too, in that same sort of, you know, maybe do a bike interval session on Tuesday and then Wednesday, maybe you do your run um, and then take a day. And then maybe do a higher intensity or a more focused run on the next day. And then sort of your lower intensity bike the next day. So you could almost alternate those. So you sort of use that high, low off. So you could say high focus, high intensity, high volume, whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then lower the second day with the other sport. And then sort of an off day or whatever you do for that. I think, you know, if you look at the Joe Friel training Bible for triathletes has a lot of good examples of sort of how you can work this away. Um, and then what is another book that came to mind? Brian McKenzie from CrossFit Endurance has another one that sort of integrates multi-sport into sort of time crunch calendar with some strength too. So that might be more up your alley too. And it's a pretty solid book. There's also that book, um, Ready to Run. I don't know if that's, that's not Kelly Sturrett too, is yeah. it? Yeah, it's Kelly Sturrett with someone else who I apologize and can't recall off, off the top of my head. But yeah, that would be another one if you're having trouble getting running that bike or that book. Um, would be a great one too it sort of builds in a bit of the mobility and strength components that you need to sort of absorb that running that was i think one of my favorites and kind of a game changer for me when it came to running especially when i was still kind of more in that multi-sport sphere yeah yeah i was trying to think like the frequency piece and just dropping the the total load of that run to Mm -hmm. me is, is a big piece um I'm trying to think what else there was really that's that's sort of like the main thing I have is just like trying to build up so you can run that 5k just like off you know it's not a big deal and it's almost like going for a walk 
Um, and you just gradually work away at that, right? I guess the intensity piece is what I, or is what I would tie into that is, uh, unless you're like racing, running, I think a lot of people just run way too hard, right? It's, it's, there's lots of posts on polarized training and uh, just running a little easier. And I think that's where the run walks help, but then also keeping the duration down. Like a lot of people run because they they feel like it's a good workout, right? They're really sore at the end. But, um, you know, what if you weren't? Like, what if you just did a little less and then you were able to do that long term, right? <laughs> This is just reminding me of the Rob Lowe show, The Grinder. But what if it wasn't? Right. Is yeah, his catchphrase? I, I guess that's, <laughs> it, it's like anything, right? Like I can go and like super strict vegan diet and like I'm sure I'll lose weight and, you know, my skin will glow or whatever. But like what if I just ate, you know, one more vegetable each day and, you know, whatever, like cut out alcohol or something. Or maybe that's even too drastic, right? So or, maybe this is a good one. The the what if it was easy, I think, is one of our favorite questions to ask about pretty much everything that we do, whether it's sport or business or life or anything like that. So the question with, you know, this is what if it was easy? What would running look like if it was easy? Yeah. So it might be like maybe just, you know, maybe your work's set up and you can just sort of commute to work that way. Or, you know, maybe it is just you wake up and do, you know, you try a block where instead of your morning core or maybe instead of every morning, maybe alternate, you do a morning core for 10 minutes and you do a run for 10 minutes type thing the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you'd have to, you'd have to look at your life. Right. But I think with running especially, but I mean, anyone who's starting something, it's that's that frequency piece. Um, and so I think there's a, a variety of, tactics there whether it's again sort of thinking that high low off and making sure you get enough recovery or the super short runs as sort of an addition or maybe one or two sort of brick styled workouts if that's something that appeals to you like that might be something really fresh to someone who's only ever done one sport is you know jumping off the bike and doing a quick transition or something mm-hmm. um, and you could certainly get crazier and do like an actual brick workout where you're on and off and on and off and on and off yeah all right, great. So hopefully some of those ideas helped. And if there's any more specific running, riding questions, which I'm sure we're going to end up with uh, since, you know, cross is coming. Uh, it's August now, so we can say that. Um, well, I will ref- refer people back to the podcast we did that was on the topic of should you run for cyclocross and then the subsequent one where we had Bill from CX Harris on where we debated that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, so. But if you there have you any go. specific questions, I guess, that we didn't sure. answer in any of those, definitely, definitely hit us up on those. Okay, I actually really like this next question, and I'm curious about your answer, because even I don't know the answer. Um, is there a difference between racing, the heart, your maximum heart rate while racing versus your training maximum heart rate? Um, for most people, this is... Can, most people who race understand this question where they're like, oh, my max heart rate when I race is, say, like 190. But in training, there's just no way that I can get it up that high, no matter how hard I'm going or how deep I'm going. Can't do it. So is there a difference? What's what's the deal? I mean, I think it, some of it relies on your philosophy of training. Um, I, I just use the max you've seen in the last, say, three months, but even like the year. Um, and so that would generally include a raise. So what do I do if I can't hit that though? Well, the point is like in training, you rarely is the objective to go out and hit your max heart rate. Like that's, that's like a very, um, I guess novice, if not beginner approach to training. Like if you can do that, like, I don't know, you, you like that, if you're doing that every day, like that's pretty wild, right? Like to be stressing your body. Like again, it's getting away from that high, low off or that polarized type training, um, you know, a beginner will have an easier time elevating their heart rate, but 
Um, I guess what I would say to that is you go out and, okay, well, we're going to run at 70% of your max heart rate. Well, if we lower that then to what you like can do, I guess, in like a testing situation on your own, um, then you're going to lower all those zones. So right off the bat, most athletes are like, no, I don't want lower zones. Like it's, it's mm-hmm. rare that that's what the athlete wants, uh, whether that's the right thing or not is aside from it. But so that, that would be a consequence, right? Is like all your zones are going to shift down. And again, that might be correct depending on your philosophy. Um, but I think the bigger thing then is, can we tie this into some other metrics? So we have our zones, whatever zones you use, there's Joe Friel zones and the Andy Kogan zones and, um, you know, zones based off of threshold heart rate may help here, um, which we can talk about in a second, uh, versus the max heart rate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do use max heart rate a fair bit, uh, but then we'll triangulate it with things like the, where is your threshold heart rate? Like what heart rate can you race at? Um, because sometimes that helps you sort of figure out where you can, what you would train under. Um, we also use things like the math tests, so sort of a submaximal aerobic test and sort of see where that, that heart rate is. Uh, you might have access to testing to do something like a max fat or uh, aerobic threshold. So not anaerobic threshold, but aerobic threshold. So sort of that, that pace you can keep um, just as your breath starts you know, interrupting those sentences. So the talk test. Um, so I think when you're thinking about zones, you want to just sort of start with some sort of framework, pick the one that you like, and that sort of fits with the testing you do and the type of racing you do maybe. Um, and then you just triangulate that, right? Like if your endurance zone seems really, really hard, um, which is common as you get to be a fitter athlete, then often you do have to start training at a lower percentage, right? So a lot of the elites that I work with would be, you know, say 60 to 70% of max heart rate, but then most of the beginners, you know, will be up at like 80% of max heart rate. And so that's where just thinking about the athlete and what they're trying to achieve. The elite athlete is pushing so much power, which again, we can incorporate power into this discussion and then even specify zones a little bit more. Um, but I think you want to think about what you're trying to accomplish, right? Or, or what is the issue that we're trying to solve here? It's not just zones are like everything. Um, right. There's sort of the framework we're trying to then decide, you know, and get some sort of adaptation. So if it's endurance, like, I would just not be, your breathing shouldn't be elevated, right? Can you do it for an extended period of time? You know, maybe cross-reference that with some power as well. And then if it's an interval, like what is the interval and can you, you know, hold that steady or, or increase it or whatever the goal is, um, especially over a matter of weeks versus just in the workout. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, do you have time for one more quickie? Uh, it's a big one, but yeah, we can try that one. Sure. Well, I think we almost need to devote a whole episode to this, and I think we'll do it in probably the next, maybe at the end of September, once we're kind of done with the season, because I think this is a good off-season question. Um, yeah. But it's someone asking just about how to, thinking about their weight already for next season, and they want to drop somewhere between like five and seven pounds. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about, who was that that we had? I guess that was like a Stacy Sims, maybe, where you talked about like everyone wants to lose five pounds. Stacy, Stacy, and I have talked about it, and Lori Netescu, um, an RD and pro cyclist, have talked. Uh, she and I have talked about it on a couple episodes. Um, so definitely go back and reference those. But I think, you know, I think this is always kind of an interesting one to come out, especially when you can look at it from nutrition and training side. So, and I'm sure you see a lot of clients who come to you and say this at the end of a season because let's be real, this is kind of probably the most common thing that you would say as your like season wrap up would be, I want to start next season lighter. Yeah. I mean, I like the long-term vision, like, you know, five pounds over 
however many a month we have is is good um especially if it's something that you know we're not trying to get you know down to like olympic raceway which is maybe we have a little bit of weight to lose right um so i mean i think if you've looked at the athlete and it's like okay definitely like weight is required like this person is not massive by any stretch like massively over you know what would be a good weight for a mountain biker um but I, I could see maybe there being five pounds. So I think one thing is, you know, could you get in and get some sort of assessment, you know, whether that's some sort of body fat assessment, just to see what you do have to to work with. Like some people just don't have, you know, they're just heavier, you know, whether that's sort of in skeletal um, and muscle mass and things like that. Right. And we need to be careful, especially as we get into masters athletes, that it's, do you really want to drop a ton of muscle or like it just, it's one of those trade-offs, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially but, when you're not competing at the elite Olympic level. Yeah, yeah. And just look, because most of us do have something, you know, there's technical skill, there's like just nutrition and sleep, you know, there's a lot of things that we can pick away at. But let's assume this person wants to, and there's, you know, a reason to lose five pounds. So we have a, a goal. And then I think that's, you know, we have a, a timeline maybe, and then maybe we can back out some like intermediate goals. So, you know, every month is, you know, five months from now, five pounds. So maybe a pound a month. Um, but then I think the, the bigger question then is like, what are we going to do different this year versus last year? So that that's sort of the way things trend, right? And And I think when you have this amount of time, it's like, well, maybe we'll try you know, what is there as far as like, is there alcohol in there every single day? You know, well, that's a lot of people end up having success just with that sort of one simple tr- uh, tweak, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there might be something in training, for sure. We could drive it. This person's, again, not, uh, I wouldn't consider them at all overweight, really. Um, so it might be something around, you know, maybe in the aerobic base block, maybe we can get a couple like long weekend blocks or, you know, a couple, you know, week long training trips type thing might help sort of bump that a little bit. Um, but again, thinking long-term and consistent versus, you know, any sort of binge training, is there just like an extra half hour, hour here we can sort of tack on uh, from the exercise side of things? And that could be walking or, you know, some extra cross-country skiing over the winter. Um, even strength training can contribute to that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think, again, it, just looking for versus, you know, I'm again, not to pick on vegan diet, but I'm going to go, you know, full out vegan and cut everything versus like what is a, a small thing that the person feels like you know yeah i definitely i have alcohol every single day of the week um you know so yeah i'm gonna pull you know i'm just not gonna two nights of the week right like mm-hmm. i need to be really sharp on mondays so i'm gonna not drink on sundays you know and then the other day of the week i'm gonna go and, and what are you gonna replace that with well we're going to go, you know, out and play Yahtzee or what do people do at night? I don't know what people do at night, but, you know, some sort of... I don't think act- anyone has played Yahtzee in, like, 20 or 30 years at night. Well, but. there's probably Yahtzee clubs out there. We should get someone on, but you know <laughs> what I mean. So, you know, what are you going to do instead, right? So maybe it's just it's as simple, you know, maybe the obvious thing is, like, you go to, like, a spin class or something at 7 o'clock at night, which I personally wouldn't necessarily do, but it'd be a pretty tricky way to just avoid uh, some alcohol. Mm-hmm. If that was something that you had couldn't just obviously just like not have alcohol and just go to bed or something. Sure. Uh, the last thing I wanted to touch on at this point is just the idea like five pounds is a really small amount to lose in kind of on the in the scale side of things, right? Like let's let's be kind of gross for a second. You know, you could wake up weighing a certain amount and have your a shot of espresso, and an hour later suddenly you're at goal weight um, <laughs> because you've 
you've lost that five pounds. So, you know, can you just speak to how to tell if you've actually lost that five pounds? Well, again, this gets to, uh, I mean, I guess there would be that error there too, but when you do something like a a bod pod or whatever type of sort of body composition uh, that you sort of pay for and go and get done, um, you would get an idea of sort of what, again, what is there, uh, you know, how much do you, you actually quote unquote weigh um, versus the water weight versus muscle and stuff. Yeah, but you and I have spoken about this before even, just where, you know, okay, so you start taking your weight every day, every other day, every week, and you're not really looking at that one specific weight from, you know, Tuesday to Wednesday. You're more looking for that trend over time. Like, are you generally down that five pounds since, you know, you started? Uh, so when you're weighing daily, like you don't get too excited about one day, right? And, and I think this is true for a lot of things. If we're talking you about you don't bike. get excited one day. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're looking at bike power, right? Like I just had someone do a test, and they were like, "Oh, you know, it was whatever the wattage was. So let's say it was 200 watts." And they were like, "Oh, you know, that's not my best." And I'm like, "Well, I mean, it's it is your second best, and." you know, you you need to do more of these. This person's had sort of on and off again, you know, they have family stuff and whatever. And it's like, you need to just like, that's good. Like it's one of the ones that we could cluster together is sort of the phrase they use for this. Um, you know, those results. And, and I want to know what type of athlete are you on, you know, in a given day, like what are your five best power tests? Right. And so in the same way, if we go to weight, um, you know, on average, you know, a rolling average, if you like, sort of like the average for the week, if you want to get really technical, but I don't, I don't know that it needs to be that crazy, right? I think what you would start seeing is rather than like 162, so let's say we weigh 160 pounds, we, you know, you're like 162, you know, you're 159, you're 160, 158, you know, that sort of thing. And then over the course of the things, you just start seeing, you know, if the goal in this case was 155, then, you know, you start not seeing over 160 and then maybe you don't see over 159 right and, and it's not that you have this like hard endpoint, but you see that that trend right i think that's both visible and then you could also again measure it a little more mm-hmm. crazy um but i i think for this like again you want to have the other thing so there's okay there's the alcohol piece there's the nutrition tweak again thinking small little manageable steps so that we can do this over time just like we did with our run training you know not doing the vegan diet if, if we don't necessarily want to adopt that, but elements of that maybe, right? Maybe there's a lot of good stuff there as far as, as vegetables and, and things like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but then on top of that, can we do something in training, you know, that we're going to enjoy, hopefully, um, that's going to be a change from what we've done right. to be that the five pounds higher, right? Right. Awesome. Well, hopefully that helped. And like I said, I think we're going to devote a whole episode to this idea of losing weight in the off season. Um, If anyone is interested or has any specific questions about it, uh, hit us up on the contact form over at consummateathlete.com or find us on Twitter or Instagram at Peter Glassford or at Molly J. Herford. And as always, if you enjoyed the episode, we would love it if you would leave us a rating or review. Like I said, a ton of people loved the David Epstein episode last week. So if you really liked that, definitely, you know, let us know. Let us know what your favorite part was. Share it around. Uh, That's all super helpful to bring more guests like David on. Anyway, thank you guys so much for tuning in and we will see you next week.